0: Hi everyone! Welcome to the Koinonia Church Message Library. Our hope is that today's message encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus. We are confident that God's Word is living and active and is relevant for us today. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. Well, we are glad that you are here this morning. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Emma Richardson. Um, I'm the lead pastor at Slate Church with my husband, Brandon, and then here at Base Church now as we're coming together and in this season of transition. So it's just a real privilege to be here with you this morning. It's been a full weekend. Not sure, were you here last night? Anyone here last night for the production? So good. Listen, if there are seats left at the seven. They could be filled with your neighbor. They could be filled with your coworker. Don't just go on Monday and tell them about it. Bring them to it and let them experience. So I just want to encourage you, if you've already been here, keep passing the invite out. There's still time. There's still seats available, I believe, at the 7 p.m. But it's been a full weekend. But I'm I'm telling you, I can see how dedicated the leadership here at Slate Koinonia Base Church is when I walk into Rim Park at... 10 p.m. last night and walk over and see Pastor Brian playing hockey and see my husband, Pastor Brandon, headed to the dressing room to get changed for hockey. And I'm like, this is crazy. And you know what? It was losses across the board, okay? We have wins in the kingdom this weekend, but losses on the ice. And I'm just assuming that Slate's C team, the Pylons, I'm assuming they lost. I don't know. I'm ass- I think it's safe to assume. That they probably lost last night. The B team won. Of Koinonia. Well, come on. There you go. One win. That's good. One out of four is pretty bad, but it's not. At least something, right? You know, we're in December. I love the Christmas season. And I love that we get to take time over the next month to talk about the birth of Jesus. Jesus. Something that we do every year, right? And this isn't just our church, this is churches at large. We focus in and talk about the birth of Jesus, but I think it's significant that we take time to do that. As we look to leading up to this day of December 25th, we can get busy, things can get full really quickly, and we can just go through the motions being like, I know this story. I know what happens. I know what the ending is. I've seen this movie before. But we need to remember to orient ourselves and focus in on Jesus. And I want to encourage us to do this this morning. And I'm going to turn to Luke chapter 1 to start here in verse 5. And you can join me there if you want to, but I will also read it out loud. Luke chapter 1 verse 5. It says this, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Zechariah was serving in the temple, and he was chosen by Lot to go into the temple of the Lord to burn incense. And then an angel appears to him. While he is in that space and basically tells him, and I'm paraphrasing this here now, that you're going to be a father. Elizabeth is going to conceive. She is going to give birth. And not only that, but this son of yours is going to make a way for the Messiah. The long-awaited Messiah is coming, and your son's going to help make a way for him. This was an answer to prayer. This was a wild answer to prayer. But the only problem was that Zachariah was crazy old, and so was his wife, who also just happened to be barren. Like, the situation was not looking good on human standards, that she would actually become pregnant, and this would actually happen. And so Zachariah questions the angel and basically says, like, I don't know how this is possible. I don't know how this is actually going to happen. Saying, basically, prove it. And the angel doesn't like this so much. Gabriel is not happy and silences Zachariah for the remainder of Elizabeth's pregnancy. He does go home. She does conceive. And he is silenced until this son is born. And in verse 25, Elizabeth says, The Lord has done this for me. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. If we go on in verse 26, the story shifts a little bit and comes to one that many of us are familiar with here. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin who was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Why don't we pray and then we'll get into unpacking some of this text and what this looks like for us today. God, I thank you that we can be here, that we can gather in this space. God, I just pray that you would speak through me this morning, open our hearts to hear your word. And Holy Spirit, would you just come and just speak deeply inside of us today. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, how many of us have our Christmas trees up? Anyone have their trees up? It's a good majority. Did anyone plan to go get their tree yesterday and just... Not because it was pouring rain all day. Was anyone like first weekend of December people? I I'm, I felt bad for Benjamin Tree Farm, okay? I'm sure that they were needing a good, you know, light falling snow weekend. And instead they got a uh, pouring rain weekend. But... It's fun to get things ready and to have these festivities. I don't know about you, but I grew up with a number of Christmas traditions. Our family was big into traditions. We did things Christmas Eve and Christmas morning and leading up to Christmas, there were different components. And if you're married in this place, maybe you know that all of a sudden when you get married, these traditions that your family has, maybe the traditions of your spouse's family kind of have to come together in some capacity, and you make new traditions, but there's this process of overlap of what do these traditions look like, and how do you navigate that time as a couple? Well, Brandon, actually, his family doesn't have many traditions, so we are fortunate in that sense that my traditions could just continue (laughs) foreign, but there is one tradition that his family does and it's one that not everyone is included in. It's an exclusive tradition, okay? So coming into the family, I was not included in this tradition, but neither is he, so it's all good. But Brandon's dad and his sister, every single year, build a gingerbread house together. It's very sweet, uh, literally and figuratively. It's very fun for them just to do this building. But but they really do a terrible job, okay? So, like, they, they get this gingerbread kit, and they... Put it together so quickly and so carelessly that by the end of it, you've just got like a mound of icing that hasn't stuck together to make the structure sound and like cheap candy that doesn't even taste good and breaks your teeth like hanging out on top of it and it's just all in a pile and they're just proudly sitting there as though it's good like smiling I don't even know if they realize how bad it is but just smiling together and over the week of Christmas it just continues to disintegrate and fall apart and sometimes now our kids will go and like break a piece off and eat this stale gingerbread house and it's just like a terrible I mean the tradition is fine but the gingerbread house itself is not the most uh pleasing to look at and enjoy and then in contrast my parents have started this tradition every year with our kids they'll take them for a sleepover they build a gingerbread house they watch a Christmas movie they have pizza they did this last night for us so our kids were with them overnight so I got some hours of sleep that were not interrupted praise God Um, and when I see the gingerbread house that my parents make with our children i 'm just like, "How did this possibly happen? It is like cover of a magazine type gingerbread house. My dad is uh, a, has a design background he 's a bit of a perfectionist, he has a really good eye for these things and i 'm not sure if the kids even participate okay I, It might just be him making this gingerbread house, but it is absolutely beautiful and i 've realized that i 'm also excluded from that tradition so Maybe it's just me, but but the gingerbread houses look a little bit different. And you know, I, I think this is actually a good parallel of the different seasons that sometimes we can find ourselves in, in the midst of this Christmas season. You know, for some of us, we are full of good intentions, but things just seem to fall apart. We're a bit stressed. We're trying to get it all together. We're trying to make things good. We're rushing through everything. We have a lot on our plate. Um... And some of it's sweet and some of it's really good, but we just can feel it's overwhelmed and maybe things are not as pretty as what we anticipated them being back in October when we were thinking about Christmas coming— And then for others of us in this place, everything is neat and tidy and orderly, and you're done your Christmas shopping, and you've got your Christmas cards in the mail with actual stamps going to people's houses because you know their addresses. You've got your grocery list made. You know who's coming for dinner. You've got your meals sorted out. Maybe your table's already set for December 25th. I don't know. I don't know. I'm assuming you don't have young children, but... Some of us, that's our reality, we feel very good, we feel very calm, everything seems good. And for some of us, everything's just kind of a mess in a pile that doesn't look great, but our kids still appreciate the effort. But isn't it true that within something, sometimes we can find different results? The the gingerbread houses are both the same kits, and yet what comes out of it looks very different. Both are gingerbread, both have candy, both have icing and frosting, And yet the result looked different. And this is true for the Christmas season. You know, the Christmas season has seasons within it. Life doesn't stop just because we hit December 1st. We don't just get to be fully in Christmas mode and not have other responsibilities and realities and things that are on our plate, hardships, challenges, um, difficulties with health, difficulties in family situations and relationships. And when we find ourselves in different seasons, We need to remind ourselves to look to God. It's an important piece in this Christmas season. And we can see this all throughout the Christmas story. This desire to, this reminder to look to our Savior. Not just our circumstances, not just our context, but to our Savior. Turn to your neighbor and say, tis the season. Turn to your second choice and say, to be jolly. In the passage we just read, we see this couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and this couple, they're actually fairly esteemed in society. Both come from a priestly lineage, and this was a good family, is what would have been considered at the time, but they had found themselves in a season, and they had been in a season for a long, long time. And Zechariah and Elizabeth were in a season of waiting. They had waited their whole lives to have kids. Elizabeth was old. She was barren. She was married. She was the daughter of a priest. She had a good family line, but yet she was disgraced in the community because she could not have children. She was strong. She was faith-filled, but she had also been waiting for a really long time. And sometimes we can find ourselves in a season like this. A season where we are just waiting and waiting and waiting for so long that we actually begin to doubt that God could even work in our situation. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been waiting for healing. You've been waiting for a relationship. You've been waiting for something to change in your job. You've been waiting for an opportunity. You've been waiting for new friendships. Maybe you've been waiting for a baby similar to Elizabeth. Maybe you're here and you're just waiting for relief. And it's in seasons of waiting where sometimes we can become the most tempted to go our own way, just to come up with our own solution. We feel that God has not answered us, or at the very least, he is ignoring us. And therefore, we must need to take things into our own hands. Maybe you came here today and you're waiting on God to move in your life or in the life of someone around you, and you've just begun to wonder, God, where are you? Where are you? Sometimes we can be ashamed of that thought, like we just need to appear faith-filled and appear like we've got it all together all the time. But for many of us, when we find ourselves in a season of waiting, we start to question the goodness of God. We start to question the faithfulness of God. We start to wonder what he is doing, and maybe I just need to sort this out myself. But if we don't remain focused on God and keeping our hope in him, we're going to start to focus on the wrong things. One way that we do this is that we try to forge our own way. You see, Elizabeth and Zechariah are not the only couple in Scripture who were ashamed of their barrenness. If we go a little bit further back, Sarai and Abram, God had made a promise to Abram that he would have children, that, that God would make a great nation from his descendants, and yet they weren't having children, and they were also very old. It's like, God, this doesn't work this way. You created us. You know how this works. And it doesn't work once, once we get really old. But God had made this promise, and Sarai was barren. And in Genesis 16.1, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. But here's a solution. A man-made solution. She had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. And this led to Abram having Ishmael in a lineage outside of God's original plan. And we still see the effects of some of this today. Even though God had spoken directly, he had made a promise. A lot of time had gone by without any sign that this was actually going to come to pass. And sometimes we find ourselves in a similar place. We pick it up and we decide that if God is not going to move, then we need to do something about it. We can do it better ourselves. We become like toddlers trying to dress ourselves. We don't know the weather. We don't know what's clean. We don't know what goes together. And yet we freak out when God is gently, kindly working out a different way. We can try to forge our own way or we just give up hope. A season of waiting has the potential to drive a wedge between us and God because we feel that he has abandoned us. Why aren't you speaking? Why aren't you working? Psalm 55:22 says, cast your cares on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never let the righteous be shaken. But it's so easy when it seems like God is not moving. He's not showing up. We've been waiting for years to just give up hope that it could ever happen. It's actually a way that we resist the pain of disappointment. If I just give up this hope, then maybe I won't be so disappointed over and over and over again. I don't know if I can take that. I don't know if my faith is strong enough for that. And we just give up that hope. Maybe for some of us, we actually react to God working with disbelief. We try to forge our own way. We give up hope. But then even when God does work, we've gotten so deep into our identity of what our issue is or what our waiting season says about us that we actually operate with disbelief that God would actually work. It's important that we encompass a discipline of trusting God or we will never be ready for him to move even though we've desired it for so long. We actually see this with Zechariah. The angel tells Zechariah that he will have a son set apart by God to prepare the way for the Messiah. And what is his response? Thank you, God. We are so grateful. You are so good. We have been faithful for this. We have been believing for this. We have been waiting for this. And here you are making good on what you would do in it. No. In verse 18, Zechariah says to the angel, How can I be so sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. And in verse 20, the angel reveals the posture of Zachariah's heart, which goes deeper than just his response outwardly and is significant when the angel says, but now since you didn't believe what I said. It's one thing to ask, how is this going to happen? It's another thing to have disbelief rooted in his heart when it comes to the situation he's actually been waiting for, for so many years. He heard the angel's prophecy and he didn't believe it was actually going to happen. And because of Zachariah's unbelief, he was actually silenced for almost a year, is what we see happen. He couldn't speak. If you're in a waiting season, you know the weight that this can carry. It's easy to feel tired and discouraged and full of doubt and anger, impatience, jealousy, jealousy. But God has not forgotten about you. His promises are lasting. They're dependable. They can hold the weight that we put on them. In Hebrews 10.23, it says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. This Christmas season, we need to hold on to the promises, even in a season of waiting. But you might find yourself in a different season this Christmas. Perhaps you're actually in a season of preparation. When we see Mary, this is actually what's going on for her. Mary was in a season of preparation. Unlike Elizabeth, Mary was young. She was fertile. She would go on to have other children after Jesus. She was educated in Old Testament prophecy. We see this when later Mary would visit Elizabeth, her cousin, and sing this song with great joy that's reflective of a song that we see in 1 Samuel, Hannah's song in the Old Testament. And she was a virgin. She was engaged to be married. And this is not like what we see now, right? Where people go into a forest and get their friends to hide in trees and take pictures of people while they propose in like a romantic setting and then they post on social media. That's not what we're talking about here. It's not quite the same engagement style as what it was then. Jewish marriages at this time had some steps. There was betrothal. This was a covenant agreement. This was serious business. It was binding and it couldn't be undone unless something serious happened something like finding out your fiance was not actually a virgin the bride price would have been paid to the the parents of the woman basically for raising her well and they were deep into this process mary and joseph would have been deep into this process and the proposal would be accepted basically when the proposal took place the proposal would be accepted and then the man would go away and prepare a chamber a, a bridal chamber for his bride. And then the man would come and collect his bride um, at any time. So she needed to be ready and she would prepare with a lamp and a veil by her bed. And the groom would come and there would be this celebration. And then the couple would go into the wedding chamber for seven days. Now listen, this is not a trip to Mexico. I'm not sure how this seven days went. But that seems like a long time. And then someone, get this, someone, I don't know, I would never want to be this person. Someone would need to go to the wedding chamber and make sure that the couple had consummated the marriage. Again, I don't know the details of exactly how this happened, but I don't know if it's relevant for this morning. But then once that confirmation came, all of the wedding guests, they would celebrate while the couple was still in this wedding chamber. They would celebrate during this honeymoon time. And once the couple emerged, they would have the marriage supper and they would continue to celebrate. It was an exciting time when a marriage would take place. And Mary was in the middle of preparing. And then the news of being pregnant coming as a virgin would not have been news that she was prepared for. We need to recognize that even if we are in a season of preparing, of excitement, of seeing clearly what is ahead, we still need to submit our plans to God first and foremost after hearing of Mary becoming pregnant, Joseph's like, okay, this is news to me. And he prepares to break off their engagement. But in Matthew 1.19, it says, Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. It's not a small thing of like getting into an argument and demanding the ring back. Like that's not what was going on here. This is a massive stepping away. From what was a covenant agreement mary 's life would have been on the line here, as she would have been dishon- she would have dishonored her fiance's family and he wants to dis- divorce her quietly, really to spare her when we 're in the midst of preparation, a season of preparation, are we holding on to our plans so tightly that there 's actually no room for God to move right Joseph had made plans to divorce her quietly, and yet What we see happen in verse 20 of Matthew chapter 1 is something that I think we can actually learn from here. It says, But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. I love this line. He did what the Lord had commanded him. How easy is it for us that when we are in a season of preparation to become so focused on what we want, that we miss out on what God might be saying? Because with preparation comes expectations. For many of us, we have these expectations of how people are going to behave around us, how people are going to treat us, how we are going to operate. We have expectations around the Christmas season as it's seeped in tradition. And we want to know what to expect. What family member is coming? Who's going to cause issues? What this actually looks like? And we have expectations. And there's this saying that expectations are premeditated resentments. You see, commonly we have expectations surrounding things in our lives, or more likely we have expectations around someone. And we expect that these things will be done, or things will be said, and when they're not, we tend to grow resentful. And sometimes this happens subconsciously, where we just have these this kind of chip on our shoulder, because we expected something that we never communicated, never actually asked for, never surrendered and then we don't, when we don't get it, we kind of feel offended, and we feel like we have this chip on our shoulders. When we're in a season of preparation, whether for a new job or a growing family or change in house, even just preparing for Christmas, we can begin to form expectations of ourselves and others. And expectations with proper communication and flexibility can help to orient us in a direction of achieving goals and teamwork and all of these great things. But the problem is that many of us have expectations, and we use it as a crutch for control, because it allows us to feel safe. If I just know what to expect, and if I just set this, up, if I just keep my expectation right here, I can feel in control, I can feel more stable, I can feel safe. We want to know what to expect so that we're not caught off guard. We don't want to feel out of control. We don't want to feel dumb. We don't want to feel unprepared. We use it to order our lives, and when something comes in and throws us off, we can feel unstable, disappointed, resentful, insecure, a whole bunch of things that we just try to avoid. And it isn't too far to think that if we become too rigid in a season of preparation, we could actually become resentful when God moves in our midst, because it's not what we expected, or it's not what we thought. You know, we so often pray for miracles and life change and for God to draw near. But are we actually open to this happening? Or do you find yourself holding so tightly to your plans that if God were to show up and change something and work something out, that you would actually be frustrated and angry and uncertain because of it? We prepare and settle in order to protect ourselves And yet God calls us to find our protection in him. Everything else is fleeting. If we put our trust in our charm and our ability and our appearance and our personality, it's fleeting. We read about this in Proverbs 31. It is fearing the Lord, trusting in him that ought to be praised. We see Zechariah. We see this in him. He is not expecting to have children. And we see Elizabeth not expecting to become pregnant. It isn't on Joseph or Mary's radar as they prepare for a wedding that they would be having a child. And yet when God moves, we have a choice in how we will respond. Do we doubt him? Do we argue with him? Are we willing to ask questions with a humble heart? Do we accept what he is doing and lay down our expectations in order to pick up what he has for us? You know, in contrast to Zechariah, who asked the question, how is this going to be, and had unbelief in his heart. Mary is met with something that shakes her expectations, but she responds with faith. Mary's heart posture is different. And we learn this when she goes to visit her cousin, Elizabeth. And Elizabeth says to Mary, you are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. You see, on the outset, when you read through this, Zechariah and Mary actually say the same thing. How will this happen? They actually say the exact same response, and yet they are treated so differently by Gabriel. This is because of the heart posture. Mary had faith where Zechariah had doubt. A season of waiting, a season of preparation. I wonder what it would look like for us to find ourselves in a season of surrender. God's timing is better than our timing, even when it's hard to make sense of it. Zechariah, Elizabeth, and Mary are in this interwoven history-making story, and they all had to choose surrender. It was a choice. In the midst of extreme confusion, Mary chose to trust God. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Elizabeth chose to release what she knew to be true, the facts, the biological facts, and instead chose to trust God. She knew she was old, she knew she was past menopause. She was knew she was physically incapable of having kids. She knew that she spent her life trying to get pregnant. She knew Zachariah would have a hard time in his old age. But it says this, after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months re- remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. She knew the source of her pregnancy. Whether you find yourself in a season of waiting, a season of preparation, or really any other place, we are called to release control to God, to fully surrender, because he is faithful and he is capable. Billy Graham, a famous evangelist and preacher of the word, once said this, and I think it's a great example of giving up control to God. He said, if you want want a change in your life, if you want forgiveness and peace and joy that you've never known before, God demands total surrender. He becomes the Lord and the ruler of your life. You're surrendering all the time. When I fly in an airplane and I sit in the seat, I'm surrendering to that plane. Nothing I can do about it. I've been operated on several times and I didn't negotiate with the doctors. As they took the knives out and put the anesthetic in, I put my full trust in those doctors that they were going to do the right thing. God said, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That's what God says. He's not here to condemn you. He's here to bless you and love you and take you into his arms and say, I forgive you. I'll change your life. And when you die, you will go to heaven. That's what God is saying. If you will surrender totally and completely, but you can't hold anything back. We need to be working towards total surrender. A total desire for God. Not because of what he can do for us, but because of who he is and the trust we can put into him. See, when we release to God, when we start to grasp his goodness, that his plans are good, that he has more for us, our joy will not be containable. It won't be containable. There won't be an opportunity to come in here and warm up to worship. Because we're worshiping in the car on the way here because our joy is uncontainable. There won't be a wondering of what the person beside me is doing and what I'm going to have for lunch, but our joy will be uncontainable. Mary's plans were changed. Her expectations shifted, but because she was able to release to God, her joy is tangible. We get a taste of this in the song that she sings when she visits Elizabeth, something that we're going to talk about more in the coming weeks. But as Eugene Peterson paraphrases in the message version of scripture, it says this. Mary said, I'm bursting with God news. I'm dancing the song of my Savior God. God took one good look at me and look what happened. I'm the most fortunate woman on earth. All of her wedding plans changed. Shame from society. Her fiance thinking of divorcing her. I am the most fortunate woman on earth. Elizabeth receives joy through what God is doing in this whole unfolding situation. Even John within her, the baby in her womb, receives this joy. When Mary comes to visit her, at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry. I think we need to get a little bit more undignified in our... Western civilization. She gave a gra- glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. Zachariah's John is born, declares with faith what his name will be against all cultural customs. There was nobody in their family lineage named John. And we see him begin to speak after almost a year of being silenced, and his first response is to praise God. Immediately, it says in verse 64, his mouth was open and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. What do you need to release to God today? Is it the promises that you've been waiting for, but fear that God will never see through? Is it the walls that you have put up in your life to protect yourself from disappointment? Is it the expectations that you have on yourself or others, the stress that you are feeling in this season? Is it the dreams that you're preparing for? Maybe today it's actually your whole life. Maybe you've never come and surrendered to God before and trusted Jesus as Lord. And you may find yourself in a different season than one that we've talked about this morning or a combination of many. We are complicated people. Things are not linear. We are not only in one season at a time. Wouldn't that be nice? Maybe you're in a season of loneliness or joy or great loss or opportunity or unanswered questions or contentment or a mix of all of them. But the season of surrender is one that we all need to look to. Because today the same message rings true as it did when the prophet Isaiah wrote it down many, many years ago. For to us a child has been born. A son is given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This child is Jesus. Savior of the world. Died for our sins so that we could have relationship with him. Hope. Joy, peace, everlasting life. We don't carry it ourselves. Our response can always be to give it to him. So what does it look like for you to surrender today? Worship team, you can come and join me here. We're going to go into a time of communion in just a moment. But what does it look like for you to surrender? You know, collectively as a church, we are in a season of preparation. As we prepare for this merge, January 28th, we're launching out as base church, one new church. I'm sure we have different feelings about it excitement, maybe sadness, maybe confusion. There's lots of different feelings, right, that go on as we go through change, as we go through preparation. Are we willing to, to surrender to Him in this season? Our preconceived notions, Our preferences, our hope, our comfort, our expectations, our past hurt. Are we willing to surrender our plans? You know, we're going to have this moment of communion. And in just a moment, Brian's going to come up and lead us in that. But communion is this opportunity for us to take stock of our lives. It's a moment to allow the Holy Spirit to come And reveal things in us that we need to repent of, that we need to surrender, that we need to give back to God, that we need to ask for forgiveness for. And it's important that we do this. That we stop and ask God to search us, ask God to work in us. And I wonder what it would be like for us as we go into a song of worship in just a moment, just to take a minute. And, and reflect, God, what do I need to surrender? What am I holding on to? What are ways that I'm getting in the way of your plan? What are ways that I need to stay faithful to what you are doing, even though it's not what I expected you to do? This is a time for us to repent. And as much as we need to collectively surrender in this season and keep giving back to God, keep submitting to him our plans. We need to do that individually as well. And so I'm going to pray. The team's going to sing. I encourage you to grab that communion cup and wafer combo in your hand. Just hold it in your hand for a moment. And then we're going to take communion together. So God, I thank you that we can gather here this morning on this early December weekend where we will see A few thousand people come through these doors to hear the good news of Jesus in song and in word and to maybe enter into church for the first time. And God, what life change can come out of that? Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for those serving. We surrender that to you, God. But right now as we sit here and we contemplate and we ask you to search our hearts, God, Would you reveal to us places that we need to surrender? God, I believe that there's some of us in this room this morning that have deep-rooted hurt that we are carrying around. And it affects us. It breeds insecurity in us. It's hard for us to be vulnerable because of it. Holy Spirit, I just believe that this morning you want to uproot some of this and replace it with great joy. So God, whatever season we find ourselves in this morning, would we intentionally choose today to find ourselves in a season of surrender? We submit our plans to you. We submit our thoughts to you. We submit our emotions to you. We won't let them drive us anymore. We need to be driven by you, your word, your faithfulness. We praise you, God, in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. We want to encourage you to let the Holy Spirit sink today's message into your heart, to let it transform you and bring new life. If you want to learn more about Koinonia, you can go to kcf.life to get connected thank you for being a part of our community. If today's message encouraged you, we would love for you to rate it and review it and share it with a friend. We love you. Let's continue to build God's kingdom together.